Welcome to Charlotte Reader's Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show that features stories and poems by local and regional authors, the kinds that touch the emotions, followed by conversations that offer depth and insight into the readings and writing lives of the authors. We record this show in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located right here in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. Support for Charlotte Reader's Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. For more information about these book-minded sponsors who help authors give voice to their written words, please visit them online at parkroadbooks.com and cmlibrary.org or drop by the bookstore or any library branch. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the stories. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, welcome to this special episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. Uh, it's a full episode filled with conversations and readings with five local poets in celebration of National Poetry Month. If you love poetry, you're going to love this episode. And if you like the rhythm of story, be prepared to be wowed by these performances. Who's with us today? Alphabetical by first name, we have Blues, Jay Ward, Kathy Collins, Kia Flo, and Shane Maynard. Basically, it's a powerhouse of talent in the local poetry scene. This episode is being released as a bonus episode following the last episode of Season 5, and before we launch Season 6, it was put together in partnership with Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, one of our sponsors, but more about that in a moment. First things first, this show was not produced like a normal show. I did not record it at Advent Coworking in their studio where I record most of the episodes. I did not record it in person out in the field as I sometimes have done at bookstores or in live settings. Sadly, I did not even get to meet in person with the poets to produce this show. Why? Well, you probably know the answer to that. Uh, As you know, um, we've been in times that are not normal to us, so we've had to adapt a bit. How do we adapt when you're dealing with a podcast? Well, you got to go remote. And these guests, uh, these poets who are very creative people, supplied content. I pulled it together. And uh, here's what you can be able to hear today. You're going to get two poems from each poet. You're going to get some words from each poet about their selections and their, also their reflections on their journeys as poets and the importance of poetry and the time in which we live. I started piecing this episode together the day Mecklenburg County went into shelter in place. And what better way to shelter than to be inspired by local poets? Uh, that's really what happened to me as I was putting this together, and I hope it works for you too. As I said, my partner for this show is Charlotte McMurray Library. I worked with Pam Turner at the library to pull this episode together. Pam is a poet herself and was part of our Season 4 kickoff in August 2019. And among other things she does at the library, she leads Write Like You Mean It, a weekly creative writing group at the main library. She's published a book of poetry, Come Walk With Me, with a grant from the Arts and Science Council, and is working on What's Next. Pam wanted to do something special to celebrate National Poetry Month and came to me with this idea. Here's Pam explaining the idea and offering her thoughts about the importance of poetry in this day and time. Last year at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, we kicked off Poetry Month 
with a big event with balloons and flowers and we had the slam poetry team there to talk about their 2018 win at the national poetry slam competition and this year we wanted to similarly celebrate poetry month with a bang but to make it possible for more people to be part of that by having a recording and by having more poets involved in kind of a broader um, vision of it. So we're going to have this podcast with some local poets who are making a difference both here in the Charlotte community and also in the bigger world of poetry. So as to why poetry matters, especially today in these difficult times, I think all of the arts are really vital to how we express our humanity and how we connect with each other. For me personally, writing poetry helps me to better understand myself by being able to connect deeper to those spiritual and emotional parts of myself. Collectively, it allows us to connect with each other and feel the beauty of our shared experience as humans. Um, So I would say that poetry helps us really to transform pain and suffering into something of beauty and to be able to transcend that mundane life and find something more important there. With Pam's words in mind, I started thinking about uh, National Poetry Month and decided to look it up and uh, I went to poets.org and here's what they had to say. National Poetry Month each April is the largest literary celebration in the world with tens of millions of readers, students, K-12 teachers, librarians, booksellers, literary events, curators, publishers, bloggers, and of course poets marking poetry's important place in our culture and in our lives. Probably this April doing it more online through YouTube and podcasts and so forth, but uh, that's the idea. They say that while we celebrate poets and poetry year-round, the Academy of American Poets was inspired by the successful celebrations of Black History Month in February and Women's History Month in March and founded National Poetry Month in April 1996 with the following aims. Highlight the extraordinary legacy and ongoing achievement of American poets. Encourage the reading of poems. Assist teachers in bringing poetry into their classrooms. Increase the attention paid to poetry by national and local media encourage increased publication and distribution of poetry books, and encourage support for poets and poetry. And this podcast today is our small contribution to help encourage support of poets and poetry and to bring that uh, medium to life uh, uh, in the podcast world. So right after uh, this quick word, we'll, uh, we'll get started. Host Landis Wade is committed to making this podcast worth your time. He's a recovering trial lawyer, award-winning author, book and dog lover, whose laid-back style encourages authors to read and talk about their published and emerging works. You can listen to this show for free at charlottereaderspodcast.com or at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library's Digital Branch website. And you can subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts wherever you like to get your podcast. Show notes of this episode with images, links, and information about the authors are available at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. 
So listeners, let me tell you a little bit about the uh, format for the show today. Um, unlike other long-form podcast shows that we've done, we're not going to provide uh, too much detail here, uh, at least uh, from the host uh, standpoint, in terms of a biography for each guest, because we've provided quite a bit of detail about uh, each of the poets in the show notes, which you can find at uh, charlotteridgepodcast.com along with uh, images and other information, links as, as to how to connect to the poets. And because each of the poets here are going to talk a little bit about their journeys of poets, so I thought I'd leave space for that uh, to happen in the podcast. From an abbreviated standpoint, let me just tell you a little bit about each. This is the order in which you're going to hear the first readings. Uh, you're going to hear from Blues, who is a slam champion, spoken word artist, and coach of Slam Charlotte a competitive poetry team that won back-to-back-to-back national poetry competitions. Next is Jay Ward, poet and teaching artist, youth poet coach, and winner of National Slam and Individual World Poetry Championships. After Jay, we have Kathy Collins, a published poet, student of Jungian psychology, graduate instructor, and co-founder of Charlotte Center for Literary Arts. Then we have Kia Flo, who's a poet, author, stage performer, National Poetry Slam competition team member and recipient of Poet of Influence Award by the Jack's Poetry Fest. Uh, and then last but not least, Shane Maynard, creative coach, artist, live event painter, poetry mentor, national spoken word poet, and youngest poet to ever be inducted in the Poetry Council of North Carolina. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to have uh, some uh, reflections and a first read by each of these poets in this order, Blues, Jay Ward, Kathy Collins, Kia Flo, and Shane Maynard. And then we're going to reverse the order so that after Shane performs her first poem, she'll then perform another. And then we'll go in reverse order with Kia, Kathy, Jay, and Blues. We start first with me putting this question to Blues. Tell us about your poetry journey. So my journey into poetry began for me in high school, um, our teacher, our English teacher gave us this assignment to take a Shakespearean play and rework it uh, for modern times. And modern at the time was like 1990 something, something. And uh, so I took Romeo and Juliet and made it like this urban, you know, epic love story kind of thing. And I was so impressed with it because I got a chance to write, take the boringness out of Shakespeare and make it fun for me and I, I fell in love with words at that point and the teacher gave me like a c and i was like oh no like this is clearly amazing a plus work so it was it was at that moment that i i kind of fell in love with being able to take words and rework words and and really kind of help myself express myself i know it's a lot of yourselves but it it, it was literally that because uh we fast forward and I get into my first breakup. It's a, it's gut wrenching, and I, I thought I wanted to die, and it was just like super powerful. And then you know I started writing and, and writing my emotions out. It was like super emo though, like very, very dark poetry. Um, and people were like, "Yo, it's good. It's super dark though, but it's good." Um, and that progressed into me, you know, redeveloping how I express myself and. Um, I, I learned that sex poems really work with women. And so I was doing that kind of thing for the oohs and ahs. And it was, uh, it was the night that I heard Jessica care more that really changed my entire life. 
my poetic life um, because she showed me that I don't have to do all those things to get people to respond, to inspire people, to move people. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. So it was at that moment after hearing her that I wrote my, my next piece. And from then on in, it was, you know, just about uplifting people and inspiring people in a way that made them feel good. Um, so yeah. And then I got into slam and then here we are. So, and I think at this point, the thing I love about being a poet is being able to take words and inspire people and tell their story if they want their story told or give perspective or be funny or be sad and, you know, give romance or when that's needed. All those things are just uh, the amazing part of being a poet, being able to use words to reflect life. It's so awesome. I also asked Blues about the importance of being a poet in these times. I think being a poet in these times, particularly, is super important. Um, with, you know, before this Corona thing popped off, but the political landscape of things, the, the, the way that we're seeing our world reshaped and reshaped again, um, we're able to take an account for that with what we write, with what we can create. Um, and now, especially that we're all being quarantined, uh, it's even more important because now we're, we are kind of being, I don't want to say forced, but really guided into being more uh mindful of our craft more more intentional with what we do um and how we do it uh especially when the world is looking for creative outlets you don't really miss the water till your well is run dry and you know where you could go to an open mic and hear a singer and do this or do that now you have to stay home and dig through all this stuff and look for it and 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 be forced to kind of see it through your phone or television or whatever it's 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 mindful of what we do and the power of what we do especially when we are in the presence of people uh the energy of that is is amazing and it can't be duplicated um so what we do is super important especially in this world being a creative uh, to inspire hope really really we can write to inspire hope and keep people's heads up and you know survive survive now to be inspired by blues you'll hear him introduce his first poem and then the poem itself uh, this poem is called for francis l when the purple rain ain't enough um i am in love with the movie purple rain and probably more in love with with prince um and that movie just it, it was something that i grew up on the soundtrack was amazing but the scene where he sees himself as his father and realizes his musical talent comes from his dad, but there's this, you know, there's this dark part, you know, is he abusive like that? Is, is that a thing that he carries with him? Um, yeah. So this poem comes, comes from that. Um, I just wanted to do it like a different take. Um, there's not too many poems about Prince and pretty much not too many poems specifically about Purple Rain. So that was also a bit of the a bit of the challenge. So, um, yeah, this is called for Francis L. When the purple rain ain't enough. What those hands held, the weight of my mother's broken hope. Her teeth were piano keys that played the saddest melody. The basement 
was never our low point. We drowned in the flood of frustration from your failure. The duets, a thunder through walls. Your voice was cannon barrel boom, but never louder than her dove cry. She never learned to fly from you. Well, maybe she did, but the anchor in my eyes kept her grounded, kept her here. Under this roof of batter and blues, my guitar wrote so many love letters I never had the heart to address them to another lover because they all sounded like you, like a heartbreaking backhand with a bass line so thick it left bruises. You are so bold, so giant and genius, the meanest man I have ever loved and loathed in the same breath. Tell me how to run away from the music when it no longer heals you. How do I compose that great escape when I wear your face? Every look in the mirror is a reminder that I am a remix of pain, that your talent runs in my veins. I'm scared to death that every song I write, every note composed will sound like the horrible harmony in your eyes. I don't want to be one of those guys who learns to apologize after the fury of the music fades. I never meant to cause you any sorrow. It's funny how easy the lyrics come after how hard your hand hits. Francis, I slapped her. It was reactionary, maybe learned, maybe something inside me like an inherited talent. Maybe I'm just like you. Maybe I'm just like her, a cloud over our house, and I'm praying for purple rain. Our next poet, Jay Ward, talks a bit about his journey as a poet. Uh, well, poetry for me started in the fifth grade when I wrote a rap song for a school project. Um, and then in sixth grade, I was introduced to Langston Hughes and the Harlem Renaissance. And I just fell in love with the idea that you could infuse jazz cadences into the way you write. Uh, and then for a long time, I just wrote rap songs, like all through high school, I wrote rap songs. And I started back with poetry again, my freshman year in college. Uh, and then after school, I didn't write poems for a long time after that. Uh, but once I started up again, I self-published a book in 2009. Uh, I went to a book festival and that's where I met blues for the first time in 2010. And, um, I, I then started coming out to the open mic scene, uh, started coming to spoken word performances and going to slams. And really my thinking at the time was I wanted to learn how to read and present my work better. Uh, so I wanted to learn about performance from these open mic poets and slam poets. Um, and I ended up learning much, much more about writing than I ever did about performance, although I did learn a lot about performance. Um, but just uh, the urgency in the writing and how to write in a way that's engaging and how to craft an experience uh, for the listener or for the reader, um, how to write complex but still be accessible, you know. Um, after that, I eventually did get into slam in 2018, along with the Slam Charlotte team, I won the National Poetry Slam. Uh, and in 2019, last year, I won the Individual World Poetry Slam. Um, I love being a poet uh, for two reasons. First, for me, um, I think writing a poem is both joyful and heartbreaking and complicated and simple. Uh, and getting it right just feels great. And not getting it right is frustrating. Uh, it's kind of the same reason people love jigsaw puzzles or people love golf, even though it drives them crazy. Or at least that's my experience with golf. Um, and then the second reason I think is I love being poet, 
uh, for others. Like the idea that my story can be helpful and even more so depending on how it's written, um, that in a world that is stressful and chaotic, my words could bring laughter or inspiration or provoke thought, or at the very least, just provide enough of a diversion to ease the weight of the world. Like that is just dope to me. Jay also has some thoughts to share about the importance of poetry uh, in the world in which we live today. Well, art in general is important, right? Um, but when we say art, most people think immediately of visual art and, well, where would we be without these paintings and sculptures and, and these things that, that uh, enhance our lives, right? Um, and poetry in general is very important, but most people think about music, right, and lyricality when we think about poetry. Uh, where would we be without music and the people that write the songs? Um, I think poetry as a whole is important because it expresses the inexpressible, right? How do you put a moment into words? How do you put a feeling into words? Um, how do you use words to describe a fleeting wave of emotion that overtakes you and then is gone? What has always been amazingly powerful for me and other poets that I've spoken with is when we dive into some specific memory or feeling and we present a poem on this topic that is so uniquely us, only to have someone come up after a reading or a performance, seek us out just to tell us how much our story told their story, how helpful it was to have someone voice this thing that they couldn't put into words. And I think in that way, poetry is a double-edged sword of catharsis or of healing or of laughter or of kinmanship because it reaches out just as much as it reaches in, meaning it, it reaches out to others just as much as it makes you reach inside yourself to write it. Here's Jay Ward introducing the first poem that he's going to perform today, along with the performance itself. So the poem Prophets of Baal, or at least that's the working title right now, because I'm not exactly sure what the title is going to be. Uh, this poem was very important to me because it incorporates several very important memories for me. Uh, my uncle, my dad, my first drink of liquor, uh, cooking a hog. Um, and it also represents some very complicated memories of the South and, and what tradition means. Um, specifically when we talk about traditions that uh, have this nostalgic impact. But when you historically look like look at why they were traditions and when you also look at the context of today, like health wise, what some of those traditions um, offer us, you know, it's, it's a very complicated uh, memory, but it's still very, very integral to to me growing up and to even where I am now. So I was just a very I was very excited to kind of put that into a poem. Um, and this poem started as. Uh, a poem that was really just meant to be on page um, that I've submitted and got good feedback on to different uh, publishers. But I created a, a version that I wanted to share on stage because it was just that important to me. And, and as I did that, actually, um, I found some areas uh, where I think the urgency and the passion were more so in this work than on the page work. So I'm, I'm going to go back and, uh, and edit it accordingly based on that. When I say high blood pressure runs in my family, what I mean is I'm being chased. 
The South say you can't run from everything, but this summer, Dad is gone off Canadian mist, complaining about his sugar again and all the things he can't eat but still might at this pig picking. Yeah, we had got a whole hog from Orlando, pink fleshed and splayed like a sacrifice. Ten-year-old me walks around the offering before the body is pulled and smoke just seems to follow me no matter where I go, Dad is gone to tend the fire. My uncle motions the bag toward me, peels it from the bottle's mouth like one of those fast-moving rain clouds, you know? That's good stuff, he says. And I nod like I agree, face contortioning into an amen, but it burns. It burns like that split-open swine on cinder block sea, how smoke seems to follow our gods, our men, walking in their own ritual of pretense, ignoring whole conflagrations. My uncle ignores whole burns in his chest, just like Dad. One day, I'd beg Uncle Skin to put the cigarettes down and he'd say there's no point in quitting now when he could feel what was chasing him already had hold. When I say cancer runs in my family, what I mean is my dad and his five siblings could not run fast enough. What I mean is I'm being chased. That's why I promised myself I would never smoke. And it might be why I ain't been back to my hometown since this uncle's funeral. And I swear, I ain't trying to escape the tradition as much as I am the effects of it. The South say, here, Hattie's chitlins, gizzards, hogmogs, here, turn these leftovers into legacy. Break this cornbread and feed 5,000. Measure your blessings in cholesterol. And I got all manner of blessings, y'all. I got greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes, lambs, rams, hogs, dogs, you name it. We hop out my uncle's truck and the brown paper cloud disappears under his seat, crackling its own thunder. Then he shows me how to coerce embers back into flame while he lights a new port. Done. The pork. Doused with pepper and vinegar, this must be how prophets of Baal felt, watching flame jump from a deluge, all parts praise and provision, all parts testimony and smoke. What if I just go ahead and smoke? What if I summon the fire now, swallow it like a sky of things passed down, like a sky, like a whole sky? Might as well, right? It's the last thing left. I still drink cognac, same brand. Just diagnosed with high blood pressure this year. Why run from this monster, feel the heat of its breath, search for my lungs only to turn around and see every hospital bed I ever visited here from every person I love? Well... I know I shouldn't eat this, drink this, smoke this, but I'm going to do it anyway, you know, because I love it. And what's life without love, right? The South say you can't run from everything. And I say, well, I'm going to run anyway, you know, because I got three kids and I love them. And what's life without love, right? So I'm going to run and fight and rewrite tradition like rewriting a menu or like keeping a doctor's appointment or like being the flame instead of the ash. I'm going to keep running even if I can't change the fact dad is gone. My uncle followed like smoke. Our next poet today is Kathy Collins. Here she is talking about her journey as a writer and a poet and about the importance of poetry uh, in the society in which we live. I've been a writer since I was a little kid. Even before I could form actual letters, I practiced scribbling with a pencil on whatever scraps of paper I could find. It was like some part of me recognized my destined vocation long before I even knew what a writer was. 
By the time I was in the first grade, I had set up a writing desk on a little table my grandfather had made. I pushed the table against the wall beneath the clothes inside the closet I shared with my younger sister so that I would have some privacy. Then I set it up with my tiny collection of children's books, a jar full of old pencils, and a half-used spiral notepad from my dad's carpentry shop. I don't remember what stories I wrote, but I do recall that this was precious real estate. I defended it against my sister's pilfering and nosiness like a she-bear. Interestingly, except for the little bit I experienced in high school and college lit classes, poetry didn't interest me in the least. I graduated from UNC with a degree in journalism, then worked in public relations and wrote advertising copy for a while. But it wasn't until I discovered some contemporary poets at church, Wendell Berry, Naomi Shihab Nye, Mary Oliver, and John O'Donohue, that I fell in love with the form. Still, it was another 10 years before I wrote my first poem. I had been writing essays and short reflection pieces for a while. Then one day, the writing took its own turn. What I thought would be a short meditation had spontaneously morphed into a poem. Since then, I've worked with many wonderful poetry teachers and mentors, people who've shown me how to shape and refine my intuitive ramblings into a few pieces that might qualify as real poems. One of the reasons I love writing poems, particularly ekphrastic poems, is because the form allows me to make connections between two or more seemingly separate ideas or objects or people or things. When I write a poem, I start off by making sort of stream-of-consciousness-like associations, much the way memory works. Then I make a shift toward clarifying those connections. As I do this, I almost always learn something or realize something I didn't know before I started the work. The writing takes me deeper into my own experience, and the deeper I go into my experience, the deeper I go into the collective experience of all human beings. Touching the collective human experience is essential for all of us, especially during these surreal and frankly quite frightening times in which we're living. Poetry has always performed this function in society, and I think we need it now more than ever. Here's Kathy Collins introducing the first poem she's going to read today, along with the poem itself. The first poem I'll read today is an ekphrastic piece titled Bob and Sue, 1945. Ekphrasis is a style of poetry in which the poet responds to a work of art from another form, traditionally a painting, but almost anything goes today. I wrote this poem as a response to an old photograph of my grandparents. In it, I engage my imagination to explore both the dramatic paradigm shift brought about by the end of World War II and some of the intuitions I've long held about my grandparents' relationship and the way those relationship patterns repeated in subsequent generations. It was the way these two concepts and the imagery surrounding them intersected that gave me the foothold that became the poem's turn. At root, this exploration, as is true of most writing, is part of a quest for self-discovery. Bob and Sue, 1945. 
The war isn't quite over, but my grandfather is home for good. My grandmother seems glad of it. It's one of the first warm days of spring, greening grass, leafing trees, and love in full blossom. Just look at the two of them, hooked to one another like conjoined twins, dapper in their Sunday best, posing on the bank at Hillsborough Lake, the white of my grandfather's shirt highlighting his out-of-season tan, skin bronzed during his Hawaiian tour of duty. He is glowing with love for her, my grandmother, still pale from the long Illinois winter, has pulled out a girlish spring gingham for this occasion. Church picnic? Birthday party? We don't know. But in this moment, they are alone, a double star inside an expanding universe. She nestles the back of her trim body into his, lets him wrap his arms around her neck and chest. She couldn't get away if she wanted. Just look at the way he adores her, how he presses his nose and lips into the soft flesh of her cheek, his eyes closed in ecstasy. He breathes her in. He's home. She's his, and she is, in this moment, smiling her beautiful, life-giving smile. Next year, she'll give birth to a baby girl, my mother, later a little boy. Decades will fill ball games and bologna sandwiches, Saturday night pinochle, Sunday tallies of the first Christian church collection plate before either of them can blink. There will be grandchildren and gut cancer and a gulf deep and wide as the Mississippi between them. But today, the bomb rests in a hangar far from this field. Today, everyone is innocent. No one speaks of radiation's half-life, the half-lies of the heart. What happens when stars collide? Today, they are simply Bob and Sue. Hey, listeners, we've got more coming, including the uh, poetry journeys and reflections of Kia Flo and Shane Maynard, and also their first poems, followed by uh, additional poems by Shane, Kia, Kathy, Jay, and Blues. But before that, I just want to let you know that uh, at our next long-form episode, a week from now, we're going to be having our 100th episode. This was supposed to be a big party, uh, a live event uh, at Catawba Brewing, but uh, the coronavirus got in the way, so we couldn't do that. But sometimes when uh, one door closes, another opens, and that's what's happened here because uh, I've got some exciting news. Uh, Having tried some remote podcasting, I was able to invite uh, and record uh, remotely a long way all the way across the country with author Craig Johnson. Uh, You may have heard of Craig Johnson. He's the New York Times bestselling author of the Longmire series, the basis for the hit Netflix original series Longmire. He's the recipient of the Western Writers of America Spur Award for Fiction, and his novella Spirit of Steamboat was the first one-book Wyoming selection He lives in Ucross, Wyoming, population 25. He is a real conversationalist. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. So tune in uh, next Tuesday for our 100th episode with uh, Craig Johnson, which will also kick off our season six. Now back to the poetry. Our next guest poet is Kia Flo. Here she is talking about her journey as a poet. My journey... uh 
as a poet and the reason why I love it so much has been nothing short of remarkable and just attests to that saying if you put your mind to it you can do it and um, I, I, I just originally started because I had written some poems and I wanted to perform them, get them off my chest, if you will. I had been going to spoken word events uh, a few years prior to, so I understood the concept of open mic that, you know, you may not necessarily, you know, be trying to travel, uh, be seen and be known and record videos and do interviews and such. You just have a poem <laughs> that you want to perform. And that's how it was for me. And that first performance and the encouragement that I got, I don't know if it was a drug or if it was a, an, a message or an answer or um, the, the moment I found my calling, if you will, but I was hooked and I kept going back. I had a few more poems and with that, uh, I started becoming inspired to write more just based off of the things that I went through in life, my perspective. And I've always been an entertainer, if you will, uh, in some form of capacity. So it only made sense to create it into a format to where I could bring it on stage. Um, and who knew that I would have moved to a completely different state because of it in search of growing more in it, and I definitely have. Kia also addressed the question of the importance of poetry in the world in which we live today. I believe that poetry is important in the world that we live in today because it, it brings things to focus. Many times we're walking through living our life feeling what we feel, interacting as we normally do, not understanding that it's more than just us and our immediate family and friends and co-workers and classmates that make the world go round. It's a whole world of people out there and different perspectives and different issues and oppressions and blessings, traditions, and it's always great and beautiful to recognize that there is more out there and understand it and what better form than spoken word. But poetry, it's, it's an art to language. It, it can make art beautiful. It can make it ugly. It can make it real and having the ability to express what is going on either within or outward in the world in that art form is necessary for us to understand the rhythm, the rhythm of the world. Here's Kia Flo introducing her first poem, Military, and then performing it. Military is... <laughs> My um, my title sometimes can be uh, pretty <laughs> cut and dry. 
but that poem, I, I, I don't think I have to say it. it. It is a true story about me. It is a true story about me. And I think writing the poem helped me have that revelation that I speak of towards the end. Before writing that poem, how I felt at the beginning is how I felt. But sometimes when you take a breath, you think about what you want to say, how you want to convey it. So many other possibilities and scenarios can come across your mind. And it was a moment of reflection, like, are you not doing those things that you wanted to do? You may not necessarily be defending, but you're definitely out here healing. And that's far more important. That's far more important. And so um, I appreciated being able to write that. And the process for it was just just taking the time to write it. And um, I'm glad I did. I don't share it often, but something moved me to share it uh, for National Poetry Month. To that lady in the military, that for whatever reason determined I wasn't worth much, not even an explanation. In less than five seconds, I allowed you to diminish and discard my fight. For many years, I wandered the earth assuming your view of me. You looked at me as if my purpose was obsolete, denied me the opportunity to rectify my wrongs. A better direction for my life is what my family depended on. It was my desire to go to college, travel the world, all while defending my country. But I stand here as a whole grown woman, no longer enraged, a reformed misfit with peacock butterfly wings. I stand firm in the essence of all of my blessings. Many odds defied, cast away internal demons choking the life out of my adolescent. Many thought I'd be dead in jail or dependent upon a system with children hanging from my every existence, socially graduated by teachers who couldn't see my turmoil through my laughter. I hear the song Tears of a Clown, angry at my parents for not always being around. My guidance was in every place but where it should be. Not getting any younger, I was ready to take control of my destiny. And for so long, I felt you robbed me of that chance. But you know what? Miss Military Lady, a bigger reasoning came to me recently, a justification that for many years I was unable to see. Maybe you were trying to protect me. Maybe it only took five seconds for you to see that this wasn't the path for me. For so long, I walked around thinking you assumed you were better than me, but maybe you were sparing me. Maybe you saw the battlefields I had already conquered and you didn't want me to hurt any longer. That I had fought through war zones much worse than this country would allow me to defend. That the tears I had shed absorbed more soil than blood could penetrate. Or maybe I just wasn't ready at all. Either way, I stand here no longer holding on to the ideas that kept my mind enslaved. This whole soldier of a grown-ass woman just wants to salute you today. Because in spite of all of my anger and rage, it was my life you saved. I'm able to walk with my head high because of all of the troubles and struggles I went through. 
But more importantly, I stand here today in the way that poetry paved my beautiful black sister to simply say thank you. We're now going to hear from our last poet uh, on the show, Shane Maynor. Shane is first going to talk about uh, her journey as a poet and the importance of poetry in the world. She'll then introduce uh, and read uh, two poems, and then after she finishes performing, we will circle back and have one additional reading from uh, each of the poets who've appeared on the show. So I've been writing poetry ever since I could remember. I grew up traveling, and I think writing poetry was a way for me to express all the things that I was experiencing. So I've I've written since I was like five, six years old. My first poem was actually about werewolves, believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just a great way for me to process and express all the different things we saw traveling and the things that I experienced growing up. Um, I really love poetry because it's a great way to um, really expose and bond our humanity. And I think that there are conversations you can have in poetry that um, the audience is more open and willing to considering rather than if it was just in a normal conversation. I think poetic language is um, an ability that taps into everyone and I, I love that about it. It's very powerful. I truly believe that poetry saves lives and can change the hearts and minds of people everywhere. Here's Shane introducing and performing her poem, Derek. Derek, that poem um, really means a lot to me. I think it really showcases how poetry does save lives by the way that we're able to be empathetic and tap into the human uh, experience and how that can really help heal each other. I am staring out at cars. At the exact spot, he lifted his sneakers off the solidity of the ground for the last time. And there is a black hole howling in my chest that spins with the rage of all things that are swept away in the current. They said, all that was left of him was a tuft of red hair. My neighbor saw the odd parts, the red marks all mushed and skidded across the road. She said she thought someone must have hit a deer. She had no idea it was a boy of only 14 years old. His name was Derek John Thomason. I went to his high school when I was young, and he jumped right near my house. Newspapers read he was bullied to death. I am staring out at cars, and I am tired of waiting for someone to stop. And there is a battle cry signaling war, roaring across everyone's windshield that sonics outward from the fist that pumps my God in me. When I was in school, I thought if I could make one big boom, I was sure I could make an impact change minds. But we forget a span of 14 years. You young crew weren't there in the generation of Columbine. You didn't see the survivors, didn't get to sympathize with, yes, the shooters, didn't deal with the bomb threat every day for a year like I did. No one pushed the edges. There was a unity that happened in our school. But how easily martyrs fade from our books tarnish our golden rule. Parents, do you know how close your children are to the hand of death? 
how they cling to his robe with an arm around his leg. My own mother still doesn't even know I came home every day and held a loaded gun to my head and waited for the coldness of the rim to creep in, awaken me, shake me loose from his grip. She did not see how blue my face had been when I was cut down from a bathroom door by a friend, swinging from a belt I had hung myself with, already stopped breathing, already convulsing, my own leap sneakers involuntarily banging the door. It was the only thing that alerted the next room that something was wrong. And here I am, staring out at cars, wondering where all the other poets are, whose words ever held another's cries. I stopped caring so much about publications and credits ever since I was told my poetry stopped an elderly man from suicide. I am staring out at cars, and I am biting the words off and spitting them down the side of the Lane Street Bridge on 85 for my God in me to read back to myself. Now when I think what is the point of this, I think of Derek, and I have no problem with going at it alone, because by my God, if I would have known, I would have used this gift of words, and I would have stopped, I would have risked my job that day to try to save that boy's life, when communication has been such a breeze for me, maybe it could have lifted him when he leapt and he could have flied, I am staring out over ID5, wondering why every bleeding heart is acting like a hypocrite, when my God in my chest is burning all the bushels we used to hide the light with when my heart is suffocating under the swift wind his sneakers left why I am the only one here when now is not the time for silence nor to be an advocate to stillness when my generation is getting high in back rooms and couches instead of out here with me uniting why we would rather keep our heads down than out there fighting for those who are weaker and those whose feet are in the same sneakers Shane's second read for the show is called Southern Stigmata. It's about social justice. Here she is talking about that uh, poem. And then following her words, you'll hear the poem itself. And the second one I chose was one called Sudden Stigmata. And it's really more about social justice and about environmental issues and just the weight and the feeling of of having to do something and realizing your part in everything and, and that you can make a difference as well. Like you can do something to change the world in which we live, um, that you are not powerless and that there's really no running away from it once you know what's really going on. And um, so that poem is really about igniting that spark for change and the emotions that come with trying to deal with so many issues that the world faces so my boyfriend asks if i want something to eat as we pull into the cookout and all i can think is of last year when i was starving myself running so hard and tyler's mom made homemade meatloaf out of love it was so good and i wept when i ate because i finally understood what eating was the give and the take the exchange but right now the thought of this conglomerate chemical patty well i'd rather starve myself sick than eat this but i refrain from the explanation and just say nah baby i don't want anything 
while the tears are welling up in my eyes like the flogged priest's backside taking a shape of crucifixes. There's a stigmata stuck in my throat. I'm choking on the world. My palms were bleeding psalms against my face when I finally break through the tears to say, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't want to talk to us either. But even as I utter this, I know it's ridiculous Cause I can feel his great fist coming down inside of me To grab me for the pen So I say, nah, God, he's still talking to us all the time We just forgot the language Tonight, I saw poets clack out ghosts between their teeth Become possessed by the connection between the living and the dead The damned and the forgiven And they're tied together in that order I saw a woman crumble under her sold scale at what opportunity disguised itself as a door. I wanted to tell her, honey, you already won. See the competition? The stage is just a mind trick. But we, look at me, we are the magicians. And the magic is real. It's inside of us. I went back to big city to see some souls in celebration To find the flesh had already been rotten Poisoned by the slave cycle I wanted to turn over tables Tell them this here ain't no waste of space When you gather, you have potential But you kill the outcome with an excuse to let loose There's no progression, there's a lot of movement But ain't nothing been moved So here we are now at a gas station Ambulances are riding by, executing their sirens, and it sounds like cash registers. The drawer is all skull and bones. The dead suddenly appear more awake than we ever were. And I'm praying while he's pumping blood into our steel horse since all the flesh is rotten. And I'm trying to find a way to tell God and the world I'm sorry. I've been watching my friends get picked off one by one and I've been out here in these woods lying to myself like a coward thinking if I just stay out here a little bit longer I'll gain some sort of knowledge to turn the tides of our corruption but God the war it's all around us and there ain't no going back to sleep once you wake up God is speaking to me in all tongues and I can't feel anything but the sorrow and the sickness and the disintegration of continuous generations with the dead around me being risen I can't feel anything but the stigmata bleeding into my stomach and God knows that I'm not hungry. Not for one more bite nor corpse morsel. It all tastes like killing in the name of. It all tastes like the salt from Sodom, the sins of our fathers, the rape leftovers of our mothers. And I'm trying to conjure up the spirit of my dead brother. Ask him, did he ever find an answer? And what he suggests we do to pull out of the system, I am sitting here being eaten by the scream emitting from the earth while my boots are lacing themselves or maybe it's him tying them up to go back to war. As we circle back with one more poem from Kia, Kathy, Jay, and Blues, we start first with Kia, uh, introducing her poem, Work in Progress, followed by her performance of that poem. The poem, Work in Progress, is something that I wrote. I had been in Charlotte for about a year, and I was not where I expected myself to be uh, when moving to Charlotte uh, and being too prideful to go back home. And I woke up one morning 
and I posted a photo of me laying in bed with the covers covering my face. It's still on my Instagram. And the caption, I just started writing what is now the poem, A Work in Progress. And I like to do it as an introduction many times when, I'm, when I have a feature because it's, it's, it's just letting you know, hey, this is, this is what I'm going through. This is how I view it. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to stop. And I acknowledge that I may not be all the way there, but I'm not where I used to be. Um, I'm a work in progress. The pressure is thick because so much has been given to me. Much more is required of me. However, sometimes I'm not sure what they want from me. I sit here thinking of my next move, the best move, not caring what the rest do, hoping to be more stress proof. There's a test due that I never studied for, and I'm not even sure if I'm going to pass this course. But my brain and feet work simultaneously to never stand still and accept defeat. Better times of understanding is what I seek. Wandering eternally, why did I pick all the bad habits? Finding loopholes and new tactics to calm my madness. I'm a strong woman, weakened with grief and grudge. Eyes change directions quickly when I realize nothing is in it for me, showing no love. But I do have a heart. And although it is emotionally scarred, I constantly try to do right by it and right through it. I long to be better, better than, than I was yesterday and tomorrow. Ignoring the sorrows running out my cup, sometimes I lay stuck in my head searching for answers. And when I find none, I begin to justify. And knowing the possible whys as to why I don't try a little harder to break away from the curses birthed in me living unregrettably. I mean, I just want to be free. So as I continue to work on me, all I want y'all to see is the woman I've grown to be because I'm a work in progress. Here's poet Kathy Collins introducing her second poem and performing the poem. This second poem is also ecrastic. In this piece, I respond to a famous 1936 painting by Salvador Dali titled Couple with Their Heads in the Clouds. This poem as the title it shares with the painting suggests, is also about relationship. I have no idea what Dolly intended in this work, which, by the way, is quite easy to find online. And I intentionally did not do any research to find out. The poem is a response from my perspective, my lens on this little piece of the world. The painting offered me a way into feelings and thoughts that I might not have had other access to. Once again, the creative work of poem making happened at the intersections of Dolly's painting, my life experience, and the magic of imagination. Couple with their heads full of clouds. She leans toward him, her head a puzzle, piece that at any moment might slide like a cloud floating freely across the sky into the tender, nape between his right shoulder and ear, making him believe she might be the one who finally fits. He doesn't see how the slight tilt of her head shifts her perspective, changes the atmosphere, reorients her vision. He thinks she's seeing the same sky, looking toward their home, that cluster of buildings at the center of his heart, 
but her gaze is now elsewhere. Her thoughts have become vertical, illuminated by the shaft of sunlight streaming earthward between the banks of the building storm. There is no water for her on their table. Already she is gathering its cloth for a cloak, studying the hills in the east, seeing clearly there are no footprints on the sand between her and there. Here's poet Jay Ward introducing his second poem, Black Rapture, and then performing the poem. Black Rapture uh, is a poem that started from a myth that I first heard about from a, a young adult sci-fi novel called 47, and then later from Dick Gregory in one of his YouTube videos. And it was about uh, Africans who could fly, all right? And in the novel, one of the slaves, because this was during the time of slavery, one of the slaves discovers that he can fly and he leaves the plantation. And I just started imagining, you know, scores of slaves just going up into the sky, uh, and leaving the plantation. And I could not get that visual out of my head. And I also couldn't get the symbolism of that out of my head. Um, so it's been, in, it's been, it's been in my head for a while to write. Um, and I was finally able to get that down. And after I wrote the first draft, uh, then it became really important to me to add as many personal details as possible about my own family, about my own upbringing. Um, and also it was very important to me uh, because the image starts in slavery. It, it was it was very important to me that I wanted to travel through time um, and, and flying allows that. But I wanted to travel through time and I wanted to, yes, acknowledge um, these bad things because I, I think they should be acknowledged and talked about. But I really wanted the focus to be on resilience. And I, and I think at the time that I was writing this poem, there was a lot of discussion about how many movies there are that depict slaves. And although that is, you know, a, a time that's hard to get around when we're talking about uh, uh, African-American history, it is not the whole of the African-American diaspora. Right. So um, it became very important to me to not focus on that part. There's there's other stories that need to be told and have been told. But for me, for this poem, I really wanted to focus on resilience. And so so it kind of travels through time and it focuses on this idea that if we made it through all of this, then we're going to make it through whatever we're going through now. Legends say Africans once soared through the sky like blackbirds, but once enslaved and brought to America, they forgot how to fly, forgot their wings. One day, legends say, Massa look up and seen black bodies floating right out the field. One by one, a cloud of freedom, a black rapture caught up in glory. This poem be North Star, Big Dipper, be slave song, be mapped to free, disguised as spiritual. This poem be, hey, amen. Oh yeah, this poem be black. Black as you can handle, got wings too. Travel from Massa's field to my grandfather's sharecrop shanty. From there to Selma, Montgomery, Greensboro, Little Rock. From there to Ferguson, Baltimore, Cleveland, Sanford. From there to fish fry by the lake. Cook out, be all legs when Frankie Beverly and Mays come on. Be Uncle Skin slumped in a chair after a big dinner. Be me beating on lunch tables at Conway Middle School. Be Miranda, protest, riot, cuffed and clipped. Mama say, when that day come, your wings gonna spread wider than an archangel with a smile to match. I say, Mama, I can't smile and open my back to the wind at the same time, can I? She say, boy, don't you know you can fly, you can change, you can become something else entirely, but 
but but the problem is reaction to change always been violent, always been chase and hound and water hose. Reaction to change always been. Now, why you want to go and do that, folks? Why you want to go and mess up a good thing? Why you want to not be satisfied with what we gave you? See, we never should have gave y'all nothing. What are we going to do about Black Wall Street but burn it down? What are we going to do about Harlem but take it back? What we going to do but tell you what we going to do and then do it and then ask you what you're mad for? Ain't you grateful? We be grateful. For Fannie Lou Hamer, Rosa Parks, my Aunt Chloe, Aunt Hesse, for Mama, and all the black women that made it possible for us to fly in the first place. We be grateful for Solange and Viola and Lupita and for Tank and the Bangers and for me and you, your mama and your cousin too. Oh yeah, this poem be black. And when I say black, I mean resilient. When I say black, I mean love. When I say black, I mean fly. I mean we can't be owned. When I say black, I mean a resilient love that can fly on its own. Because every black poem really just be a love poem. Be I love you. Be I love myself. Be we gonna make it this time like we make it every time. And when they ask how we did it, the answer is not love. It's heart. Not steadfast. It's shift. Not intention. It's movement. Not a wall. It's Jericho. The answer to any question is not a trump that raises a wall. It's a trumpet that brings one down. What work? How heart? Why shift? When now? Where movement? Who Joshua? What ram horn? Why fall? Why disrupt? Who left the gate open? If this the plantation, what they gonna do without us? Look at this view, how we get up so high after being brought so low, cover so much ground. Ain't we beautiful? Oh yeah, you got wings. You all got wings. Just cause they forgotten or called home or cuffed or clipped don't mean, don't mean, don't mean you ain't been flying this whole time. For our final poem today, Blues introduces his poem, Dear Amy, and then performs it. So this poem is called uh, Dear Amy. I, I wrote this um, pretty much like almost hours after learning about her, her death. Uh, it was it was such a it was it was such a like a, a blow um, cause she was an amazing voice and amazing talent, but I, f I feel like she was bullied. Um, and that was kind of the thing I took away was like, you know, we have these superstars, but we, we treat them just like, like crap and, and we bully them essentially. And she was at this point in her career where, you know, it was just tough and people were giving her a hard time and people who couldn't sing as half as good as her, you know? So, um, I wrote this as if, you know, it was going to be a letter trying to, you know, get her to, I don't take a look at her life and, and, you know, realize where she was headed and what was going to happen. So, um, and there's a turn in it. So, uh, this poem is called Dear Amy. This world will love you less when your voice lacks the luster of liquor trickling over the rocks of your tonsils. You... You are promised that a father will try to keep from breaking. He will fail. This world wants your pain too much. Too much for him to hold back. It will tear the flesh from every note you sing and wear it as a trophy. They will understand you as they understood Cobain at 27, on the cusp of finding yourself, finding your voice, 
finding your vice, finding that the lick of sin tastes just like heaven until they find you in your flat, flat line, baseline. I'm sure by then your mind was more scattered sheet music than Grammy generating genius, but you can't slow down. The monsters waiting for a new single written in your blood, waiting to boo you off stage at worst stage in your life so they can praise you and raise you in iTunes three days later. Who knew Billie Holiday would run deeper in your veins than just her voice? God bless the child who has her own demons to drown, bottles to bury and bottom of liver. Did you deliver from the gut, Amy? Are you listening, Amy? The same way we heard you on repeat, missing the message etched into the alto of your jaws. My father said he had friends like you on the brink, says that they are better memories now, better lessons learned through song. So sing something for us, Amy. Make it good this time before we take you back to black. Back to where little girls play, make believe, believe they sing like divas on stages that feel like altars. For angels, maybe, maybe, maybe they pray for a voice that can lift a world, feed a nation's soul. It can sonic boom a star-spangled banner. Because somewhere in a hotel, only known for holding angels hostage, Amy, your ghost will be drawing a bath for Whitney Houston to drown her Janis Joplin's in. Here, little girls, little Bobby Christina's dressed as broken grown women sink under the weight of the world's expectation, under the pressure of hitting the right notes no matter how wrong your throat feels. The alcohol will hold your liver like an old lover, familiar, like the weight of pills, it can make it feel like an escape okay to take, like an exit door that everyone else seems to get to go through but you. It's like a way out. Maybe, maybe not. Well, she will make the water warm, like the kiss of a cold in winter. Before lips ever learn to say I love you, it will be the first time in a long time she's ever felt like singing ever felt that close to god what harmony is this what key is the misery in it feels so perfect so close to the end and a question for every time she stood on a stage heard them scream her name heard their claims of adoration while their actions showed the speed of their abandonment she asked whitney in the melody of the sweetest sincerity of insecurity how will I know if they really love me? Well, that brings this uh, special poetry episode to a close in celebration of National Poetry Month. I want to thank Blues, Jay Ward, Kathy Collins, Kia Flo, Shane Maynard for sharing their talents with us today and also uh, sharing their journeys as, as poets and their reflections on poetry and how it makes a difference in the world. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode 
with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.